You're listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. Welcome everyone to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. I'm Rachel. Thanks for listening today. On this episode, I had the gift of sitting down with Patrick Johnson, the founder of Generous Church. Patrick began Generous Church with the vision of spreading biblical generosity throughout the globe, helping churches and disciples to transform their minds and hearts to see generosity not just as an act of giving, but as a way of life. We discussed why it is that we struggle with generosity, how generosity is central to our faith, and ways we can cultivate generosity in each of our lives. I hope it's helpful. Well, welcome, Patrick, to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. Thank you so much for coming, for driving all the way down here from that different country that is Austin. (laughs) We're grateful that you're here to talk about generosity. I am grateful to be here. Thank you for having me, Rachel. So we are in the middle of a sermon series on generosity, Okay. Um, but you are sort of a guru on this, which I'm sure you appreciate that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, are, you, you are very passionate about this. You, um, you're part of a generous church, and we're going to talk all about that. Before we jump into a conversation about your heart behind generosity mm-hmm. and what that really looks like, just tell me a little bit about, about you. Where are you from? What do you love? What do you like other than generosity? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So grew up in the deep south in Mississippi, as you can tell by the accent. I still have a little bit of that accent. Uh, my wife, Jennifer, and I just moved to Austin, Texas six months ago. So uh, I joke to people like, when are you officially a Texan? Like all the Texas people I've ever known, they're so proud of being from Texas, right? They're so proud. That's true. And so the question is, if you move into Texas, when do you become a Texan? Like, when can I carry that Texan pride around? Got any recommendations for me? Oh, man. I actually do think it's when you're proud to be from Texas. Mm -hmm. I think that's like a defining characteristic. It's like when you, when people talk about their states and you're like, no, it's... It's just Texas. Yeah, exactly. So we live in Austin, and there's so many tattoo parlors in Austin, like on every street corner. I thought when you got your first tattoo, maybe that's when you officially become a Texan. So <laughs> Not here. Not here. <laughs> not here. We have donuts on every corner is actually what it's like where I live. So Keep Austin weird, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm from Austin. I'm not from Austin, but I spent a good 12 years there, and so... I'll try not to make any comments about Austin, but I love that place. It's a great place. Yeah. Very diverse. A lot to do. A lot to do. Very diverse. Yeah. Tattoos. Yeah. For sure. Everywhere. Yeah. Lots of really good music and a really good football team. Sometimes. Sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's not go into football because that might be controversial here. That's right. That's right. Uh, That is funny. So I was just thinking about how generosity is also controversial. Hmm. So uh, maybe not as much as Longhorn football. But when it comes to generosity, it is so often something that we just sort of cringe whenever Hmm. we hear about it or we don't want to talk about it because we don't want to make people uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, Why is it that generosity is such a struggle for us to talk about or really just money? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because I think it has multiple um, tentacles to it, if you will. So first of all, let's talk about why we struggle with it. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a spiritual aspect to it, right? I mean, we know that Jesus talked about it a lot. And so why did Jesus talk about money and possessions so much, right? He wasn't trying to fund a temple, right? He was supported by women who actually followed him around. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so it wasn't like Jesus had an agenda, but his, his real agenda was he connected it to your spiritual life. And, and, and I would say one of the big narratives that Jesus had about money was, be careful, you got to watch out for this. And think about the time that he talked about it. I mean, he was in, you know, he was a Jew living in Israel, nowhere near the wealth that we experience here in the U.S., and yet he was telling his disciples, watch out, this stuff will get you. You can serve God or what? Money, mm-hmm. mammon. He often talked about the rich uh, young fool, I mean, the rich farmer who was the fool, the rich young ruler. Mm-hmm. I mean, over and over examples, again, we have this spiritual dynamic of money, which for followers of Jesus, we better be careful about. So I think that's one thing is that there's a spiritual dimension to this that I think we often overlook, and, and we need to really think through that. So that's one thing. Well, I think I, and there's already so much to unpack even in this first part that you're talking about. Um, but I think that even the first thing you said is really important that um, Jesus didn't have an agenda. 
Because I think our assumption automatically in the church is, oh, you, you're talking about money. You want, you, it's because you want something from me. Yes. You know, it's not about all these other things that you're, that you're beginning to talk about. It's just they want something from me. And there's a lot of distrust there. And not only in the church, but it's in our culture, mm-hmm. right? Think about when you get a call on your phone you don't recognize. What do you do? You send it to voicemail because yeah. it's somebody trying to sell you something, right? right. Trying to get your money. Uh, it's your universities you went to, right? You get direct mail. They want your money. So we live in a culture of agendas. We often, people perceive the church to have agendas when it comes to your money. And so I think the key thing there is that, that Jesus said, it's not about an agenda, it's about your spiritual life. Mm-hmm. It's about your spiritual formation. And in our Western context where we are so affluent, we, we better start talking about this if we're truly serious about following Jesus. So in the Western context, is there, because you work all over the world. Yep. And you try to um, cultivate generosity all over the world and talk to people about this. Is it different if you are here in the Western culture, like you're talking about, versus other places in the world? De- definitely. So... I worked for, in the U.S. for 17 years, working with great churches all around the country on this idea of how do we unleash generous disciples? Mm-hmm. You know, what does it look like to grow people who are being more and more like Jesus and being generous? And the things we've got here, there's a couple of big obstacles we have in the U.S. Number one, we're a very individualistic country. So think about it. That's, we're prideful about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pride. And it, there's good things about being individualistic. Right. That's just a, it's just a title. It's not... It's, it's not good or bad, necessarily. No, no yeah. not necessarily. But when it comes yeah. to spreading ideas, it can be a very big hindrance. So when I go down to Latin America, they're a high group culture. And so when I bring generosity to Latin America, if you get the right people on board, it spreads like wildfire. Mm-hmm. Here, it's, it's very much church to church to church to church. So I think that's one thing that we face is our individual cu- culture. Second thing is, and, and this is... This is so wild to think about when you really think about it. Think about the systems that are set up in the West that their main objective is to get you to want more, to think that you're not enough, mm-hmm. or to create fear in you. And I'm, you know, I'm a business person by nature, and so I, I love business, but the reality is there are billions of dollars spent in the U.S. to get us to want stuff, to, to connect our identity to buying stuff and to make us fear that we're not going to have enough. Mm-hmm. And those are huge hindrances to a life of following Jesus and generosity. So a lot of what you're talking about is, I don't think anyone would argue with, mm-hmm. a lot of this is just central to who, who we are in the Western yep. culture. Like you're saying, it's our identity. Yep. Um, so you have that, and then you, ha- and then you are saying that the Bible talks about money differently. So h- how do we hold those two things together? I mean, what, or let's first talk about what does the Bible say hmm. that's different about that, and then we can talk about what that actually looks like. So I think, I think the—so uh, here's the interesting thing, is as followers of Jesus in the West today, we live in the most affluent country during the most affluent time of world history. There's never been a country that is more affluent than we are today, even in the economic downturn that we're going through. If you look at the history of the world— There's never been anybody wealthier with more power than we have right now. Okay, so then you look at the words of Jesus. Jesus wasn't specific, like, okay, Rachel, you have to live on this amount per year, or Rachel, you need to give this percentage of your possessions away every year. But he did give us these money maps. I call them their mental maps, if you will, that Jesus gave us when it comes to our money and possessions that we as Christ followers in the 21st century have to say, how do we work this out in our context, which is going to look different in the U.S. than it will. There's similarities to like Latin America or China or other parts of the world. So everyone has to wrestle with the mental maps that Jesus gives us around this, but how we do it is unique in a Western context. Okay, so let me give you an example. So Jesus... um, he very rarely talked about investing. I mean, you go through the whole New Testament and you look at savings and Jesus commanding you to save, mm-hmm. you will not find it. That's, that's really sort of amazing if you think about how much we talk about that. Totally. And where most of the scripture, which is nothing wrong with savings. We're not right. saying savings is a bad thing. But if you look at scripture, just face up, that comes in a lot of the Proverbs, the wisdom, mm-hmm. 
literature. It comes, so that's where you find most of the thing. If you look at the entirety of scripture and you just take it face up, generous giving is talked about all the time. Like it is the main emphasis on scripture on money and possessions. It's what Jesus talked about. Don't store it for yourselves treasures on earth, store it up in heaven. It's what Paul talked about. If you're rich, you do good. You're rich in good deeds. I mean, the narrative of the New Testament, I would say much of the Old Testament is about God's heart for the poor, God's heart in generous giving. But yet we focus so much on savings Mm -hmm. and investing. And, and, And it's interesting, we can cherry pick scripture passages to fit our Western mindset and miss God's heart in scripture. Mm -hmm. And that's a danger. That is a danger. And it it does, I mean, even just you talking about it, I can, I can sense and and think about how that really does come from fear. You know, we focus on saving because we, because we, it's again, not bad. We need to have some sort of saving, but it's just like our mindset is just because we have to. It's just a fearful mindset. And we have systems that are set up that said, if you don't save at this level, then you're not being wise. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's let's stop there for a second. I mean, how many of us have seen, you know, you should have this much saved by retirement at age 50, at age 40, at age 60. Okay, so what would Jesus, if you had a conversation with Jesus about that, how do you think he would instruct you? I think that's a fascinating uh, exercise Mm -hmm. to play out. Yeah, and a little bit scary too. <laughs> Very scary, right? Because, and, and that's also why we should do it like we're doing it right yeah. here. Like that's, an, I heard Andy, um, no, it was, uh, uh, who was it? Uh, I did a conference one time with Andy Crouch. And he said that money is a particularly effective idol because we can store it, we can count it, and it holds its power in the dark. Mm-hmm. And think about that. You, yeah, can, you, can, so you can count money, you can store money, and if you don't talk about it, it keeps its power, yeah. which is why we need to have these conversations. It's what Clear Creek, it's why we focus on this. It's not, you know, obviously we need money to run the ministry that God's given us, but that's the overflow of people who are having authentic conversations mm-hmm. about how to live as a follower of Jesus in a Western context. Yeah. So you uh, you mentioned men- mental maps yep. about h- how to think through this. Yep. And G- that's what Jesus gives us. Yep. So uh, at our church, we have ways to think through um, what it looks like to be a disciple too. We have a spiritual growth grid. Yep. And and what we talk about really consistently is that it's identity before activity. Hmm. And our identity is rooted in in who God is. So it's who God is. And then that informs who we are and what we do in response to that. And I'm just, I'm that's my mental map for yep. my church. Yep. And I'm just thinking through that as you're talking, because you're talking about how in the Old Testament, you know, God is a generous God. Yep. I mean, that's a defining characteristic of who he is. Yep. And so then that influences who I am and what I do too. So that's a really big point. And I've seen this all over the globe as I travel. Most people don't think of God as generous. Mm-hmm. You know, I guarantee you if we went, if people didn't hear this podcast and we went into Clear Creek and we said, okay, what's the first thing that comes Mm -hmm. into your mind when you think about who God is? They would say love. Some people would say just. Mm -hmm. Some people would say it'd be all of the more. I guarantee you we wouldn't have one person that would say generous. I agree. So let's back up for that. So this is a really important point. I think in the West, the biggest obstacle to living a generous life is fear. We can always what if ourselves out of that. What if I don't have enough money when I retire? Well, what if people misuse my giving? And I see in the data when I look at giving in the U.S. that fear controls our giving. So the question is, how do you break free from that fear? It's not about willpower. It's not about budgets or budgeting better. To break that kind of fear that's deep within us, Mm -hmm. it's really going back to who God is. And who God is and I believe this with all of my heart, is he's a loving father provider. That if you look at the narrative of scripture and you think about who God is in this generosity framework, he is a loving father provider. Think about the Israelites, okay? Two million Israelites wandering in the desert had just come out of slavery. So what was their mindset coming out of slavery? It was a mindset of scarcity, right? You're slaves for 400 years. You're afraid, right? You don't know where your next meal's coming. God delivers them, takes them out into the the wilderness. What do they start doing? They're afraid. We don't have anything to eat. As a matter of fact, we're Mm -hmm. so afraid, we'd rather go back to slavery because at least we had something to eat in slavery. 
So what does God do in this? I freed you from that. He could have said, okay, I'm gonna wipe my hands of you. But he fed 2 million people in the desert with bread they had never seen and with birds falling from the sky. Think about how many birds had to fall from the sky to feed 2 million people. Mm-hmm. And think about God's, he, I mean, think about his provision in that context. Then you go to the New Testament. Jesus is teaching 5,000 men, probably 15,000 counting women and children. Let's just guess. He asked the disciples, okay, let's feed them. What was the disciples' mindsets like the Israelites? Well, we don't have enough, right? Send them back into their villages to eat. And Jesus said, well, what do you have? We have two fish and five loaves. Jesus is a provider. He prays, he breaks it, he multiplies it, feeds all 15,000 with 12 basketfuls left over. Here's my point. He is such a loving provider. We, we know that God owns everything. Like that's a core tenet of our faith when we think about money and possessions. He's the owner. But I want you to also think that he is your loving provider. And those two things together, that's great news for the believer. That's great news. He can be trusted. Tru- totally. And, and he's not a... Remember, there's a scripture in the New Testament that says, he, if you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will right. your father in heaven... I mean, it's not like he's, like, think about how, I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect, (laughs) right? I struggle with insecurities. I struggle with fear. I struggle with so many things in my life. And oftentimes I think, well, God's just sitting there and he's waiting. Hmm. Like, you messed up. That's it. I'm done. But he didn't do that. And that's so hard for people to believe. Yes. But it's true. So when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, you know, they did like we all try to do when, when we sin. They tried to cover themselves. And we all try to cover ourselves with something. And money and possessions play into this, right? It's our identity. We all try to take the fig leaves and cover ourselves. That's exactly what they were doing. And because they had lost that perfect communion with God. And God cast them out of the garden. But think about this. God didn't stay in the garden. He didn't stay in the garden. He went out with them into the wilderness, And so one way I think of this generosity message is this is really core to the gospel. Mm. It's core. Like God doesn't turn his back on us and say, you know, you've made the 10,000th mistake, I'm done with you. He's like, when I look at my children, when they mess up, I love them imperfectly, but I would never stop loving them. He loves us perfectly. So when you think about generosity and money and possessions, we all carry these wounds around with us that we carry from our childhood, We carry from our mistakes. But what I want you to remember is this whole idea of generosity flows from who God is. It comes to us in grace. And we are in perfect love to really talk about this, to make mistakes, to pick ourselves back up and to keep going. Yeah, that's really amazing. That's amazing. We don't think, I I agree with you, we don't think about God in that way, especially how it pertains to our our discipleship under Him, totally. And I, you know, you're talking about old, you know, Old Testament and New Testament, and even how Jesus provides. Um, but I, I even think about the the cross. I mean, or the incarnation. I mean, just the fact that Jesus it says He emptied Himself, right? He 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 left His throne. He emptied Himself to become a a, a part of who we are in mankind. To understand us, mm. and then he, he he took on our death. Mm. That is, if that's not the picture of generosity, you know, and the Bible tells us that if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's the exact image of the Father, and and the the cross itself is such a beautiful picture. Well, it's of His generosity to us. The act, an act of generosity, is one of the cornerstones of our faith. Mm-hmm. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. That was Paul trying to get the Corinthian church to give to the poor church in Jerusalem. And what did he do? He, in the middle of trying to get them to give, a generosity, right? He says, okay, let me point you to the ultimate act. Mm-hmm. How rich was Jesus? Everything was created by him, through him, in him, all things hold together. He was in perfect relationship with the Father. So you're talking about rich. Jesus was ultimate wealth. Mm -hmm. How poor did he become? How poor did he become? He was born in a stable with animals. He was misunderstood by his family, his hometown. 
He said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And then ultimately persecuted unjustly, nailed to a cross, mocked and ridiculed. And why did he become poor? So that we through his poverty might become rich. This is the thing. When we get to heaven and we realize the depth of the spiritual blessings we have in Christ Jesus, I think we'll understand generosity a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen. So let me, let me say this too. So go back to the model that you're talking about with Clear Creek. Uh-huh. So this is who God is. God is a generous God. Then the next question that should flow out of that is who am I? Right. I'm a generous giver. Like here's what I want us to realize. When we live for ourselves, the fruit of that is misery. It may be short-term pleasure, but think about it. How many good meals have you get? Think about the diminishing return on meals. Think about the diminishing return on vacations. The first time I went to Napa Valley, I thought this is the greatest place in the world. Mm -hmm. The second time I went to it, I said, it's cool, but there was a diminishing return. My point is, is first of all, there's a diminishing return on anything that we are trying to place, you know, confidence in, hope in, pleasure in. And then when we really start to turn into ourselves and live for ourselves, the ultimate fruit of that is misery, greed. Scrooge. Think about Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah. Think about the face you think of when you think of Scrooge. That m- the greedy, miserly face. So my point is, you are not created to be self-focused. You're creating the image of a generous God to live generously. Your DNA is the DNA of Jesus, and Jesus was the greatest giver. Therefore, when we give, that's why it feels so good. Mm-hmm. That's why it's more blessed to give than receive. Even the world knows that, right? Christmas. People love Christmas because you love to give the gifts, right? It's, it's, it's pleasing to people. We've been hardwired to give, but we have a culture that says, no, you better protect. You better focus on yourself. And I, I fall into that. You fall into that, right? It's easy to. But what does it ultimately bring? You're just more insecure and you're more miserable. So what God wants for us, not from us, in this message of generosity is he wants us to experience life. That's it. Which that is, that is so helpful because you, you're, you're telling us, so this is who God is, so this is who we're supposed to be. Right. Because we're made in his image. Exactly. So we're created to image him. Exactly. Just so, like we were created to image him in work because God is a creator. Right. We are creators. Just like we were, I mean, there's everything that God is, we were created in his image to be. Mm-hmm. Sin has marred it. So it's not perfect like he is, but in this area, money, possessions, generosity, he's a giver, you are made to be a giver. I think that that is just um, something that that gets lost. You know, people think, okay, I'm being told I have to give. This is a requirement of what I'm supposed to do if I'm a disciple, but there's purpose to this generosity. It's not just we, we need your money, so give us your money. It's God is generous, and he's forming you to actually look like him. Totally. Just like you were created to. And that's why it gives you joy, and that's why there's freedom in it. That's why it's good. That's why it's more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah. We are hardwired to experience blessings in a life of generosity. So think about this. I've been doing this since 2003, so a long time. I've had a chance to walk with some of the most generous givers you'll ever meet. I mean, they're far beyond me. Rich, poor, everywhere and in between. And one of the common characteristics I see in people who are generous givers is they're joyful and they're free. That's amazing. I believe it too. So here's a question I ask a lot of people. How much would you pay for contentment? That's a good question. I mean, think about that. Yeah, anything, right? I mean, anything. Yeah. To These... be content. And everything. These people have found that. Yeah. And generosity is a big part of that because when we give, it protects us from wanting it too much or falling into it or getting our identity by what we buy. I mean, there's natural, like I could have a lot more money saved right now than I do. I could live in a lot bigger house than I do or drive a nicer car than I do, but I've chosen not to do that. And I find freedom in that. Mm-hmm. I, there's freedom in that. You, you know, I mean, all of us know you build the big house, the house ends up owning you. You save a lot of money, you start worrying about when the market crashes. And there's, a, there's like every secular study you ever look at says the same thing. Totally. That, you know, the, the more wealth you have, there's, a, there's a actually decreasing correlation with your 
contentment. It's the paradox of wealth. So Ron Blue says that, you know, he's worked with thousands of Christian families. And he said, everybody thinks you're going to reach a level, an income level or a net worth level where you're free. Mm-hmm. And what you find is when you reach those levels, you're really enslaved. Yeah. And what's the way to not be enslaved? To live simply and to give generously. Somebody asked C.S. Lewis, this is one of my favorite quotes. Somebody asked C.S. Lewis, how much should I give? <laughs> this is awesome. This is my favorite person, basically, so I'm excited. He said, I don't know if I can tell you how much you should give, but he says, you ought to be giving at a level when you look at people around you at the same income level you are, the same status of life, there should be things you want to do that they're doing, but you can't do because giving prohibits it. Oh, that's that's really good. And that's really the opposite of sort of how, how most of us live in our culture. Totally. We look around us and we think, how can I do that? Yes. I have to do that. Yes. Or else I'm losing. Yes. So let me give you just a practical example. So I've chosen not to have a car. We are a one-car family. Okay, now our kids are grown. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing to me. <laughs> okay, our kids are grown, so that's okay, right? I mean, so my wife's a physician. She's a radiologist. We could easily have a second car. I do a lot of global travel, but I started really thinking about... I don't really use the second car that much. It's probably the utilization of it's less than 5% of the life of the car, right? We let it sit somewhere for 95% of the time. We use it for 5%. I said, well, I'm just not going to have one. With Uber and Lyft now, those kind of things, I can do that. It's so freeing. Mm -hmm. I don't have to wash it. I don't have to get the oil changed. I don't have to worry about if it breaks down. If I need a car a day, I just take my wife to work and drop her off. Then I use the car. And if I'm global traveling, I don't have to let it sit in the airport parking lot accruing expense. So, I mean, those kind of choices, we think they're going to hinder us, but they actually bring freedom. I mean, even just listening to you just talk about that one example yeah. um, and thinking back um, how you're talking about Old Testament yep. with, you know, God rescuing the Israelites um, and they were, you know, they were in the wilderness and they, and they were grumbling. I mean, we, we, also have to trust God that He is going to provide for. It's really hard to to be in this place that's already not yet of the Christian life and believe in a different life. Believe that God's going to provide for us and that there's something better. You know, because we just it's hard to not look around. I mean, even the concept of one car is hard for people to even think about. I mean, it's really committing to a totally different worldview. And. That's a choice we made. So go back to the mental maps of Jesus. Like, that's my choice that I felt like God led us into. That may not be your choice. But what is your one car? Like, what's one the one car in your life? Could it be the size house you live in? Could it be the types of vacations you take? I mean, there are things that we should want to do that we can't do because our giving prohibits it. it it. It prohibits us from doing that. And, and, and the irony is like everything else in God's upside down kingdom is we think it's going to be sacrifice and it ends up being joy. Like one of the missionaries I support, I always wanted a Tesla. Okay, now I live in Austin. Like, I don't know why I want a Tesla. I think it's insecurity. Like I'll look cool driving a Tesla. No, if, you're, if you drive a Tesla, I'm all for it. I love Elon Musk, but this is, this is crazy. That's a whole nother podcast. One of the missionaries I support, I support them on a monthly level at the payment that I would have to make on my Tesla. Wow. So you can actually see this is, this is again, this is like the purposefulness of this. Totally. And I told them, I said, you're my Tesla. That's really, that's really cool. And, 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 and the thing is, if I had a Tesla, so what, I would enjoy it for a week? Yeah. Then I would have to worry about it breaking down. I would, you know, I mean. And there's always the what's next. There's what, exactly. And so I find great joy in knowing that I'm supporting this missionary who's doing God's work all over the globe with what I would pay for a Tesla mm-hmm. payment. So tell me this, uh, that, that is such a great practical example. And you also talked about um, one characteristic that's common among people who are generous, which is joyful. Yep. Tell me more about what, um, even before we talk more about practicalities, because that we, we need to know that because it's hard to even start this journey. But but what what are what are those characteristics of people who are generous? Yeah. What what do we have to instill in our hearts and in our lives to even start to become somebody who wants to have one car? So I think the first thing is goes back to the gospel. So you, you need to approach this topic from a gospel perspective. 
because we have so many agendas in our culture inside the church, outside the church, we tend to legalize it really quickly. But like we just talked about forever, this is about who God is. You are totally loved, completely. If you didn't give a penny to God or to the kingdom, you would still be loved. But God has set up the system, the way that things work, is that you are made to be a giver. And you're going to make mistakes. We all do, especially in our Western culture. So, so you can approach this. Don't be afraid of this topic. Don't be fearful. Don't let the narratives that maybe you got when you were a child. You live under grace. You live under love. Now work this out in relationship with God and with others so that you're free to do this. So that's the first thing. You, the people, so we, we did tons of surveys in the U.S. about people's giving. The number one indicator of the highest givers in churches was they gave out of a motivation of grace. Obligation, love, because we want to help others. Those were legitimate and good motivations. But when we cross-tab financial giving versus motivation, grace was the biggest one by far. So you approach it from a grace perspective. Number two, I think that generous givers, they don't complicate it. It's not that complicated. Like the more we, we overthink it, the more we try to think about it. Like I've known generous givers. I, I know one guy in Memphis, Tennessee, who has a crane company that's, I think they're doing $200 million a year. He's chosen to live a modest lifestyle, and he basically gives everything else away. And I was at a table, around a table with him just like this, and somebody was asking him a question like, how do I decide what to give? Like, should I give this away? And this is what he said. He said, I think you just need to ask the owner what he wants you to do with it. And I was like, I get chill bumps thinking about it. And I was like, that is so simple. I know a guy named Stanley like, Tam. Come on. <laughs> I know. Stanley Tam. I met Stanley Tam. He's 100, over 100 years old now. He gave his business to God in 1950 when it was grossing less than 20000 a year. He wasn't successful. He said, God, I want you to own my business. So in 1950, he found a lawyer. You'll appreciate this who drew up a contract to basically let him give 51% of his business to God. Wow. He said he had to go find like three lawyers to do it, okay? <laughs> I'd love to see that. Okay, so this was in 1950. Stanley Tam, since 1950, he gave 51%. He eventually gave 100% of the business to God. And then since 1950, he and Juanita have given over $100 million away to global missions. That's amazing. And you walk with him, he's so simple. So you, this is not complex, There's a simplicity to a generous life that I see in these givers, not that it's perfect, not that it's easy, not that they don't go through struggles, but there is a simplicity in their thinking that I really love. That's so helpful. Um, I love that you also, I mean, even describing that story, it sounds like overflow. I mean, you said Mm -hmm. you have to be in relationship with God, you know, go, go ask the owner, you know, I mean... That's relationship with God, and you said relationship with people too. And most of the generous givers I have learned, I call it abiding and obeying. Mm. They are great abiders. They abide with God, and then they build up a muscle of obedience where when they hear and they're sure what he wants them to do, then they go and do it. That's not found in a Bible verse. It's not found in a principle. It's really abiding and obeying. Mm. I remember we, there was one couple we were interviewing. They lived in uh, the inner city he had sold a technology company worth millions and millions. They chose to live in the inner city to find God's heart for the poor. And somebody asked her, the, the wife, they said, well, Bree, how do you live like this? Like, this is so radical. And she said, you know what? I don't think it's radical. And people ask me what the formula is. She says, I don't think there's a formula. I think you need to listen to God and ask him what he wants you to keep and what he wants you to give away. And then just follow that. And then just obey. Exactly. Ask and then obey. Exactly. Which even that aspect, this re- this abiding with God, it's it's simple. It's we not. We sort of almost want it to be complicated. Well, I'm trying to do this for my discipleship. I'm 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 working hard at understanding Leviticus right now, but really, it's it's a real relationship where you're listening and you're praying and you're asking, and then you and then you obey. That's the root of it. The root is relationship. Right, I don't think as a believer, it's hard to live a generous life if you're not in a deep relationship with God. But when you are in a deep relationship with God, then you see him provide for you. You see his love for you. And what does that produce in you? It produces gratitude, okay? You become grateful. Then what does that gratitude produce? 
then you want to go out in the world and be a blessing to others, which then deepens your relationship to God. Reciprocal. I think it's a virtual cycle. Mm-hmm. But if you leave out the relationship part, then we just turn it into rules and formulas. And there's nothing wrong. The Bible gives us principles, but principle without relationship, then you're just going through the motions. That's what the Pharisees were. They were some of the greatest givers in the Bible. Not the greatest givers, the most principled givers in the Bible. Remember Jesus said, yeah, you tithe, you should do that. But yet you've lost the bigger picture, love and justice and mercy. Mm-hmm. So my point is that this rela- it starts with a relationship with God. And that's not easy. We have to fight for that, right? We have, especially, so here's another thing. So think we're talking about money and possessions. What's one of the greatest hindrances to our relationship to God? Money and possessions right. and all the distractions they bring. So think about that. I mean, not only we're talking about the positive, the generosity part of it, but the negative is they, if we don't live this way, they can be a great hindrance to relationship, not only to, to God, but to others as well. Mm-hmm. Think about how many, always connected. Think about how families have been split apart over money. I mean, think about that. Think about that. Maybe somebody listening, you've had a family that's been split apart over financial issues. That's the power that money and greed can, that's how it can tear apart relationships. So the generous life, that's another thing I'll say. We're talking about generous people. They have a ton of relationships. People love being around them because they're givers. Mm-hmm. When you're around a giver, that's a good thing. Hey, by the way, can I say one other thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you receive? So that's another great question. That is. So I was in Starbucks this morning with one of our mutual friends and he was bought me Starbucks, and there's something that I just wince about. Like uh-huh. I don't want to be the receiver, right? right? I'm used to being the giver, uh-huh. and so that's another thing I think we need to think about in this journey: is we need to le- learn to be good receivers as well as good givers, uh-huh. which is hard. That is hard. It, uh, that also takes humility and trust and relationship. All those same characteristics that we're trying to have as being generous, you, that re, that's required totally. for receiving too. And I think humility, that's such a great word when we talk about generosity because that's another thing. A lot of people give because they want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And not just in the, we see that in the world all the time, name the building after me or, you know, those kind of things. And I'm not like, I don't, I'm not judging their heart, right? Who knows what their heart is? And so, but there's a, there's, that's another trait I see in very generous people is they're humble. Mm-hmm. They're just humble people. A lot of them don't like to share their story. I have to pull it out of them to get it from them because they don't like to share it. And I mean, think about a lot of the generous people in your church that you know. They're not the people that need the spotlight. Right. They're the humble, abiding mm-hmm. people. And that really goes back to really one of your overarching points, which is this is about who God is. Totally. And, and this is about your discipleship. This is about your discipleship to to look more like him. Yeah. And Jesus was humble. So humble. He was humble. And so those those two things are always going to go together. Generosity, and think about humility. The more I accumulate, what's the opposite of humility? It's pride. Yeah. So the very act of accumulation, I mean, what did Paul say in First Timothy? Command those who are rich in this present world, which is all of us, mm-hmm. not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertainty. So the, the opposite of generosity, accumulation, the two traps you fall into is a misplaced hope and an arrogance. And I don't, I don't have to preach that. Like right. we see that everywhere, right? Let me ask you a follow-up question to that um, because a lot of times, I mean, I remember being in a Bible study, you know, how old am I? 20 years ago, sheesh. Uh, <laughs> when you were three? <laughs> exactly. Okay. And, Sunday school? Yeah, right. <laughs> I was really uh, smart for my age. Uh, yeah, and we were talking about avarice, and, and and somebody wanted to, they sort of turned it to, well, this isn't actually about money. I mean, you can be selfish with your time. You can be selfish with all sorts of things in life. And that's definitely true. And so how do we think about generosity as something that's more than money, with, while also acknowledging sort of the hold money can have over us. Yeah. So it's always more than money, but it's not less than money. So we do need to realize that Jesus doesn't say you can't serve God and your calendar. He doesn't say you can't serve God and whatever you want to put. He says you can't serve God and money. Mm-hmm. So there's something particularly like what Andy Kraut said, right? It's why it's a particularly effective idol. 
So we need to hold that tension and understand that that's there. But we also need to look at, all right, what are our other forms of generosity, which is what you're talking about. I, th- I think we have all have currencies of generosity is what I call them. My wife, she has the currency of compassion. And she is generous with her. She's a doctor and she's a radiologist, but she's the hands-on radiologist. So when she meets with women and she helps them, she is so compassionate. And I'm not compassionate, but that's her currency. Mm -hmm. And she practices it well. And she lives for the kingdom with that currency. I like to financially give. That's my currency. Your currency might be hospitality. You might like to welcome people (laughs) into your... Okay, someone's (laughs) currency listening to us is hospitality. And you might like to welcome people into your home. I know tons of people that do that. And that's a form of generosity. So it's whole life. Yeah. And you're still talking about God's provision, God's gifts to you that you're generous with. Right. But it is whole life. And that's another thing. When I travel across the globe, I mean, I'm working in cultures, they have no money. There's no hope of upward mobility from many of the cultures that I work in. It's like the status you were born, you just want to maintain that status. And yet I go in and I bring this generosity message and it's life-giving to them because they can practice it in other ways. But my warning to us in the West is don't let that be an excuse to getting enslaved by your stuff. Mm -hmm. Yes, be generous with all of that, but also be generous. How many of you out there are generous with your encouragement? Like, think about how many people never heard in their life growing up, I'm proud of you. From a good father or even from the people around them. Totally. And, and just think about what it might mean in someone's life to go up to them and look them in the eyes and say, I am so proud of you. I mean, that may change the course of a life. Oh, absolutely. And that's a practice of simple, intentional generosity that could could change the course of, and if you can't change the course of their life, you change the course of their children's life and their children's children's life. So yes, it is money, but it's much more. And I, and I think, especially in the West, one of the things we need to do is we have to slow down enough to see people. Like we don't see them. I think if you walked with Jesus back when he was walking, one of his gifts was he could see people. Mm-hmm. Like, and there was something about being in his presence that you were seen. You weren't judged, you were seen. And I wonder if we get so busy and we get so wrapped up in everything that we're wrapped up that we just don't see people around us. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I think it's fascinating. Uh, Matthew 6, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he talks about don't storing up treasure on earth, seven up in heaven. He says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Then he jumps over and says, you can't serve God in money. But he sandwiches in between all of those passages, this, this phrase, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is full of light, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is dark, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, that doesn't make sense in the surrounding passages. So scholars think that what he was talking about was you either have a generous eye or you have a stingy eye. Mm -hmm. And if you have a generous eye, your whole body will be full of light. If you have a stingy or greedy eye, your whole body's going to be full of darkness. Man, it's about seeing people. And when we see people and we encourage them, and we love them, then our whole body comes full of light, right? Mm-hmm. We live in that. So it is more than money. It's about whole life, but we have to be intentional. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, I love about your whole framework, because it's not just you are supposed to give, so you do give. It's about who God is. It's about discipleship. It's yep. about who we're created to be and living fully in that life. And that's going to particularly affect money, because that has a hold on us, like you're saying, but of course it's going to affect everything else. Totally. Because it's who you are. Like you said, it's if you, whatever your eyes are, that's how you're going to see everything. And it becomes a way of life. It's not just an act of giving, it's a way of living, mm-hmm. right? So we do acts of giving, but ultimately what I want to become more and more is like, this is my way of life. Mm-hmm. This is how I live. Can I say one other thing? So think about it like this. This is the framework. We have a generous God. We are called, we're made in his image to be generous disciples. And then let's don't forget, we also are called to be a generous church. Mm-hmm. Like if you go back to the Acts 2 and Acts 4 church, secular historians were trying to figure out why this church spread so rapidly across the Roman Empire. These are really early historians. They didn't know about the Holy Spirit. They were just looking at the traits of the people, the, this movement that spread across. They identified four characteristics, and one of those characteristics was they lived radically generous. Yeah. 
Which so, is really scary for people whenever they read Acts. They're like, oh my goodness. Yeah, exactly. How can we even think about living like that? Well, and, and so that was their cultural context. Mm-hmm. So it's not like God calls us that we, you know, we're, we're in a different context. Right. But we should be churches that are so generous that the world should look at us and go, what? What? Like, wh- what is that? You know, uh, I think Barna did a study or someone did a study that they interviewed people in a community that were not Christians. And they said, what would you miss if the church left your community? And the number one thing they said was their generosity, like how they're involved in the community, the things they do. You know, government has replaced a lot of that in our culture, right? But if we were generous cultures and every church was seen as a generous outpost mm-hmm. to the community, which a lot of us do and we don't get credit for, but that's okay, right? That's, that's okay. But if we did that more and more and more, I wonder what our communities would look like. I wonder inside and outside the church. Right. What would, what would we be like in the church? Yep. And what could we do for God's kingdom in the world? Yeah. I mean, that's again, that generosity is not just about something you have to do, there's a purpose behind it. Totally. Just like there's always purpose to God's provision. Whenever we're providing and we're being generous, it's for a purpose. Exactly. It's the, and, and there's principles, there's laws that God has set up the universe right. in certain ways. The law of sowing and reaping. We call it sowing and reaping. Some people would call it karma. You know, they have different ways to try to explain the law. We know from scripture that it's God's law. That's the principles that he set up in the world. Generosity is a principle. <laughs> he set us up to be givers. And when we are givers, we enter into, I, yeah, there's so much at work. Kingdom economics is what mm-hmm. I think of it as. Like, there's yeah. so much at work behind the scene that we'll never see. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to hear a little bit about Generous Church before we, before we have to wrap up. So tell me a little bit about that, uh, how you started it, and what the purpose is behind it. Yeah. Did you do that? Totally. So I, I came out of the business world, uh, really got my heart, God caught my, captured my heart with the connection between the gospel and generosity. I looked out into the Christian landscape. I saw that there was not a lot of people connecting it like we're doing. And so I had an opportunity to go work for a large foundation and basically traveled the U.S. spreading this message. So I did that from 2003 to 2008. I've just grown in that. 2019, um, really got a sort of got tired of doing it, thought about going back into the business world uh, through a season of prayer and fasting and community. We heard God say, I want you to think multiplication, not addition. We didn't know what that meant, but then all of a sudden the globe came open for us. This year I will I'll be in 14 countries spreading the message, do it in a very unique way in that we help them contextualize the message for their culture. Mm-hmm. So we don't bring in a Western product and say, do this to learn generosity. We go in with principles and say, let us help you design a contextualized training for your. So I was just with Alpha India designing a generosity training by Zoom with those, those guys and what they were, God, this is, this is huge. God has put so many great leaders all around the world. And all I get to do is take this little message God's given me, design it in a way that they can take it and make it their own and then watch them go out and conquer the world. Yeah. I mean, that's really, I mean, I love your like gospel centrality message and it's multiplication. Totally. You know, both of those things are part of what, what we always are trying to do here too. And so um, I love hearing that you're doing that on this specific message of generosity. That's and not, we give it away. Yeah. So I don't charge any of these networks. Oh, really? No, heck no. I mean, most of them so wouldn't be able to pay me. you're living it out. Yeah, I give it away. So I have to trust God for God's provision, yeah. which I often fall into the trap. I'm, I'm afraid. Like, yeah. come on, like, who's, what's going to happen? But man, I've given... So during COVID, when we launched this, great time to launch a global uh-huh. new initiative, right? Since, since the beginning of COVID, our networks have trained over 12,000 leaders in 74 countries. Wow. Yeah. That's God. That's incredible. That's multiplication. Yeah. That's Jesus taking the two fish and the five loaves uh-huh. and breaking it apart. That's his generosity. That's his generosity. Well, like I said, we that's part of our mission here too. And so... If somebody wanted to be involved, if we wanted to partner with you, what does that look like? Yeah, come go global with me. Anybody that wants to go global, I'll take you anywhere in the world you want to go. <laughs> You're going to get a lot of emails. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, I say that to you all the time. It's like, it's a, my favorite quote is, history's made among friends, therefore go and make friends. Oh, that's really great. And what I want, I just want friends. Like, if you care about generosity and you want to see a generous world, then go to generouschurch.com, reach out to us, and I'll take you around the world. And I'll show you some of the coolest things you've ever seen. That's really amazing. 
Yeah, it is. God is so good. God is good. Uh, well, let me ask you before we end, if you were just to tell um, somebody listening, what's just one way, you know, because they're listening, they're like, I want that. I want to be that type of person. I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want to look more like him. What, what would be one step that they could take just in that direction? Gosh, there's a lot of different things you could do. I, I think, you know, that's, a, that's such a big question for so many different people. And that's okay. Maybe there's not an answer. No, I'm just trying to think of like, I'm trying to say, God, where do you want to lead me yeah. with this, this question? You know, I, 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 one thing I would do is I would sit down and I would write down, what's your earliest memory of money? before the age of 12. And I would journal on that. And I would see like, what are the, what's the narratives you bring into this conversation from your early days, from what you learned? Because I think so much like any part of our lives, a lot of stuff drives us that we've never identified the narrative. And I think on this particular issue, that narrative is really important. So, I mean, I know this is a little counter. I could tell, you know, only only drive one car downsize your house. Like those are all fruit of what I think defining your narratives, Mm -hmm. understanding how God speaks into those narratives, getting into a community and discussing those narratives with others. I think if you can start to dig into that, that's the deeper, rootier issues. Rootier. I just made up a word. I like it. Don't copy that. I'm going to keep using it. Rootier. Those are the deeper, rootier issues that when you start to tackle those, these things start to take care of themselves. Yeah. I love that. I think that's really, really helpful. Thank you so much for being here. This was a pleasure. We could talk about this for a long time. Totally. And we're going to talk again. <laughs> Actually, we have another podcast uh, with you and with Mark Carden, our executive pastor. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't. Is that safe? I don't know if I trust Mark Carden. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> He's not safe. That's not <laughs> He's probably the safest person around. <laughs> I'm, I was joking. Yeah. Thanks Thank so you. much for being here. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope this conversation was helpful. If you want to watch the video of this podcast or share it with a friend, you can find it at clearcreekresources.org, where you can also find articles, music, and a lot more. Again, I'm Rachel. Thanks so much for joining us today.